You are listening to the Discovery City Church Sermon Podcast. To learn more about us, including our location and service times, please visit us at discoverycitychurch.com. We hope this sermon will encourage and build your faith as you pursue God, community, and influence within your world. Now, the message from our lead pastor, Caleb York. Hey guys, we're on week three of No Fear November. No Fear November. And uh, man, we've talked about some amazing things, seeing what's going on in Daniel's life and how God has worked through some very scary situations, some very scary situations. But this morning to start out, I wanted to tell you one of my favorite restaurants to go to is a Mexican restaurant. All right. One of my favorite, I can do Tex-Mex, I can do Authentic, I can do any one of them. But my favorite of all the restaurants is, is a Mexican restaurant. Not all of them, but some Mexican restaurants. Let's say that. And so, you know, you go into those restaurants and you sit down and you order your food. And then what do they do? The waiter or waitress comes out with a basket of tortilla chips and salsa. And maybe you order a little bowl of queso and you begin to devour. At least that's what I do. I go in there and I begin to eat chips and eat chips. And I'm just like talking with people. Oh, yeah. You know, I'm just I'm just dipping and going. Hey, yeah, that's yeah. Yeah. And before I know it, I reach into that basket and all the chips are gone. My wife feels the little, the leftover salt and some of the crumbs. And then that waiter, waitress comes out again and they swap it out with a new basket filled with nice warm tortilla chips that just came out of the oven or wherever they come from. I don't know. I think a fairy's back there making them. And I begin to eat more and more. And by the time my food gets to me, I'm not hungry anymore. <laughs> I have, this is like my worst issue when I go to Mexican restaurants. I'm not even hungry for the meal that I, w- I even ordered. And my meal is always steak fajitas. I always get steak fajitas there. That's like my jam right there. Steak fajitas. But you gotta have room for steak fajitas. And I always eat this bowl. And some of you are like, what has this got to do with what we're talking about? Well, today we're talking about money and the economy. We're talking about things, uh, we're talking about finances and our life. And the problem that I see so many times in our world and in our country is that people believe that their money issues, their money problems comes from a shortage of money. And the truth is, I don't think that's very true. Well, speak for yourself. You know, that's my problem. I just don't make enough money. I don't think that's really our problem. Our problem is not a shortage of money. But just like when it comes to me and eating eating, uh, tortilla chips at a restaurant, I consume irresponsibly. And then I'm not even hungry for my meal. I'm not even hungry for the food that I ordered. Then I'm just spending money that I didn't even need to spend. I ate chips. And we see in our country and in our world today where people, they spend irresponsibly. They spend irresponsibly. And the same thing is so true with Christians. Today we're talking about money, and it might get a little uncomfortable. might get a little uncomfortable, but there's really two reasons why I want to talk about money and finances today. There's two reasons. One truth is this. Every single one of us in the room at some point or another this past year has dealt with a financial issue. At one point or another, we, every single one of us has gone through some kind of money issue this past year, and it affected our marriage, it affected our life, it affected our relationships with people around us, this debt hanging over our head that's stressing us out. We've all been there. We've all gone through it. 
The second reason I really wanted to talk about this is because Christianity is not separated from giving. When we talk about money and, and being generous and being and giving and stuff like that, you know what? It's all connected. You can't separate Christianity and your faith from giving. We see the famous first John 3:16. What does it say? For God so loved the world that he he gave. He gave. It's all connected. It's all intertwined. It's all connected together. And these are so important in our faith. We've got to understand this. That generosity in giving is a part of being a Christian. Giving and money and the topic of the economy is essential to the Christian life. It's essential. And it's time for us to understand really Jesus' viewpoint. How does he look at this? How does Jesus see money? How does he view finances? I want you to understand this. One of the topics that Jesus talked about most was money. So many people don't believe that. No, Jesus didn't talk about money. You want to bet? In the Bible, we see 2,350 verses that speak on money in the Bible. Because it's a huge deal. It's a big deal. And we're going to look at it this morning from Jesus' viewpoint. I want to see how he sees it. Because I got an issue with Christians that walk around and they want to point their finger at the White House and say, you know, that president or that administration, they're the reason we don't have enough money. And the truth is, many of us, we need to deal with our own houses first before we start pointing fingers. As Christians, we need to deal with what's going on in our house before the White House. See, people, they use financial, their finances irresponsibly. And the Bible's got a lot of talk about that that we're going to look at this morning. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. We saw this story of Daniel in the book of Daniel. We're going to be reading in chapter 3, picking up where we left off. Last week, we got to know this king, King Nebuchadnezzar. And King Nebuchadnezzar was a very insecure king. And so this week, we're going to see him working through some more issues. He's going to be working through some more stuff. And we're going to start this story this week and then finish it next week. So here we go. Daniel chapter 3, verse 1. Daniel chapter 3, verse 1 says this. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. Now, for you that don't normally measure in cubits, I'll give you a little breakdown here. This statue is 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide. That's the breakdown of the cubits right here. He says this, he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps. And this is, uh, he, they list these guys multiple times in here, so get ready for this. The satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates. And I love this last part because he really all he had to say was this right here. And all the officials of the provinces. Why did you just say that? To come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Here we go again. Then the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the counselors and the treasurers and the justices and the magistrates and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up and the herald, in other words, a person with a loud voice, a guy with a loud voice, proclaimed aloud, you are commanded, O peoples, nations, languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, once again, they like to just name everything off and then cover it with one fell swoop. 
You are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down, you have a choice. Whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples uh, of the, uh, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Man, that's a lot of repeating right there. There's a couple of times I feel like I'm reading the same sentence again, and I'm like, uh-oh. But we see right here, isn't this interesting? Can, can you believe this right here? There was a time in our world where politicians used money issues, they used financial issues to control people. Can you believe that? Bow to this statue. What was the statue made out of? Gold. It's made out of gold right here. Can you believe that there was a time where they tried to control you with money? Some of you are like, uh, that happens all the time. That happens all the time. Yeah, I guess things haven't really changed that much. It's still happening in our world today. But the gist that we see in this story right here is this. Bow down to money. Bow down to money and things are going to go well for you. And if you don't, you're going to be destroyed. If you don't bow down to what we say to bow down, you're going to be destroyed. And that same lie right there is what our world is feeding us today. That same lie right there is what our world wants us to listen to. For you to fight and to fight for more money and more money and more money. And when you finally do that, when you finally fight, 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 that eventually it'll bring joy. The only problem is money doesn't bring joy. Money doesn't bring joy. I've always heard people say this. Money doesn't bring happiness. Uh, yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. You want to bet? I'll show you some happiness. Give me some money. Come on. I'll show you how to be happy with money. But the only problem is, is happiness comes and goes. I'll give you an example. We've got Christmas coming up. For some of you that have kids, you're going to give them a gift, and they're going to be happy for a little while. Oh, they're going to be so excited and happy, and as soon as that gift breaks, they're going to be sad. Because happiness comes and goes. But the Bible says that joy is from the Lord. Joy's from Him. We find so many people in our world, they're being fed this lie. Just get more. And eventually it's going to bring you joy. So what do we do as Christians? What do we do as Christians in a world like this? What are we supposed to do? Jesus, he has so much to say about this. And I want to look at his point of view and kind of give you an overarching summary. And then I want to break it down. So you ready for that? If you have your service guides this morning, go and open those up. Take notes with us. Follow along through the service guide. First thing I want you to write down is this. When I give God my first and my best, he blesses the rest. When I give God my first and my best, he blesses the rest. You know what's great about God? God is not a tyrant in heaven saying, do what I say. Do what I say. That's what I want you to do. You do it like most parents. Wait, you don't do it. You do what I say. Don't do what I don't. You know, they try to do that. God doesn't do that. God, every time he has something for us to do, guess what? He did it first. He always did it first. He is our example. 
He saw when we were separated from him because of our sin. And what did he do? He didn't go into a back room in heaven and find the weakest angel he could find and say, hey, can you go down there and die for everybody's sins? Can you do that for me? He didn't do that. He didn't come to earth and find some sinful man and say, I want you to die for the sins of the world. No, he gave his first and his best son to come to this earth and die a terrible death for our sins as our example. And so when he says, give your first and your best, he's speaking from experience. He's not just saying it. Because he knows what it means to give your first and your best. Today, I want to give some advice Give some advice from him about money. What do we do with it? How are we supposed to look at it from God's point of view? Because Jesus has a lot to say about it. The first piece of advice that I see that God gives us is this, prioritize. Prioritize. We need to prioritize what we have. Many in the room today, we all have different viewpoints. We all have different priorities when it comes to different subjects. For me and my wife, when it comes to doing a project in our home, we have completely different priorities. For her, it's all about motivation. Just get up, put your pants on, and get the project done. And I'm like, I don't want to. She's like, go get it started. It's all about motivation. For me, I'm a thinker. I sit there and I think through the entire process. I'm going to need one, two, three, four, five, six, 28 screws for that project. I can't have 15. That wouldn't be enough. You know, I think through every small little detail. Because I know if I start that project and I don't have everything that I need, it's going to be a standstill and it's going to be sitting there for days. But she doesn't understand that because we have different priorities when it comes to projects. We have different priorities in the way we approach certain things. And when it comes to finances, there's many different people in the room today that have different priorities that are here. But the most important person that we know, his priority when it came uh, what his priority was when it came to finances, the one who created everything, I want to look at that right now. Matthew, Matthew chapter 6. We're going to see Jesus gives his priorities. What he thinks the priorities are when it comes to finances. Matthew chapter 6 verse 19 says this. says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. So many people read this, this verse right here and they're like, oh, we can't have anything. We've got to have nothing. That's not what Jesus is saying here. He's not saying you can't have a bank account. He's not saying you can't have a savings account. You can understand when he was saying this, he was talking to people in a day that would take their most prized possessions. They would go to their backyard. They would dig a hole and put their prized possessions in and just cover it up. It wasn't about actually using it. It wasn't even about having it. It was about just it being there. They just put it away for no reason, for no use. It served no purpose. And Jesus right here is saying, don't do that. Don't do that. Why would you do that? What purpose is that serving right there? He explains even further. Where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. What he's saying is instead of investing in your kingdom, invest in his. Instead of investing in this temporary down here, invest in his because in his, if you invest in his kingdom, it's the best possible investment you could ever make in your life. If we invest in his kingdom, where things don't get destroyed, where things don't fall apart, where things, there's, there's no way a thief could break in. 
Invest in his kingdom. I see in our churches today, we've got two different beliefs that involves finances. You have one which is the poverty theology. And in poverty theology, the idea is this. If you act like you, you need to go around and act like you have nothing. And the less that you have, the more spiritual that you are. You know what the issue I have with that is? It's not consistent with Scripture. Scripture says nothing about that. And at the same time, I see people who have so little, and they're not more spiritual. They're actually some of the most ungodly people I've ever seen. That's not consistent with Scripture. We see this other theology, which is the, uh, which is the prosperity gospel. Where if you do this one thing for God, when you, as soon as you get home, that Mercedes Benz is just going to be in your driveway. Pow, it's amazing. It's just there. You're going to get that raise. You're going to get that promotion. You're going to get that new job. You're going to get all these things. If you just do this one thing for God, God's going to give this to you. Only problem is not consistent with Scripture. It's not in here. It doesn't say anything about that in God's Word. What he's trying to say is, He's not, he's not trying to tell us that we can't have nice things. That's not what Jesus is saying right here. What he's trying to say is, guess what? Don't lay up treasures on earth. Don't lay up. Another word is this. Don't store up. Don't store up treasures on this earth. Don't store up things that you can just have. It's stuff that you just have. Let me give you an example. Do you have a car that you don't drive? Now, there may not be anybody in this room like that, but I know people who are like that. They've got cars just lined up in their driveway, and they don't, they, they have to walk out and decide which car they're going to drive today. Because they got so many. How many of you, how many have dishes that you don't eat off of? Well, you know, they're special and stuff like that. What are they there for? What's their purpose? How many of you, ooh, this one's going to hurt, guys. Come on, you're ready. How many of you have shoes you don't wear? Well, you never know. Special occasions. Jesus is saying right here, don't store up stuff on this earth. Quit laying up stuff on this earth. It's just a waste. It's going nowhere. As Christians, we shouldn't do that. I see people, there are people who are prepared for every possible scenario in their life. Any tragedy that could come their way, they are prepared for it. They focus on it. They put everything, uh, all their attention on it, but they never think beyond this life. Jesus says we shouldn't do that as Christians. We need to focus on what's coming next. We need to put our eyes on what God has in store for us after this life. We've got to understand the average lifespan for a human is between 80 and 85 years of age. And then you die and your stuff becomes somebody else's. Why would you lay up treasures here? Why would you do that? Instead, invest in God's kingdom where it's going to last for eternity. Where it's actually going to serve a purpose. It's the best possible place to invest. God's kingdom, a heavenly investment. For some of you, you're like, well, how do we do that? What's the best way to invest in heavenly things? Can I tell you this? The local church. The local church has been around for 2,000 years, changing people's lives on a daily basis. It's one of the greatest investments that you can invest in to see a heavenly investment. To see something beyond this temporary life. Man, 
Lives are being changed. We see souls are being saved through the local church. Why wouldn't you want to invest in that? I tell you, one of the biggest things that drove me crazy when I was younger was when I was a kid, parents went nuts for a little tiny stuffed animal called a beanie baby. They went nuts over beanie babies. And you know how some of them kind of like justified it? They were like, this is an investment. I'm investing in these beanie babies. You know what? I bought them for this much today. And in 10 years, 20 years, they're going to be worth so much money. It's an investment. I mean, I saw people, they had them stacked up in their back window of their car. They had so many. They had rooms dedicated to them with shelves. And I was like, you're crazy. It's an investment. You know what? I looked online. This is where actually where I got this picture. I looked on eBay to see how much a Beanie Baby is worth nowadays. This whole lot right here, you can get that whole lot for $15. $15 is all you need, and this baby's yours. I bet you you could probably work them down a little bit because they're ready to get rid of them. You know how many people probably bought individual ones for more than that? Don't lay up treasures on this earth. Don't lay up treasures on this earth because it's just a waste. Every time you invest on something in this earth, it's just a beanie baby. It's just a beanie baby. It's just obsolete in a couple years. What Jesus is saying is why invest in something that's going to be here one day and gone the next? Why do that? Why go through that? which is like one of the worst investments you can possibly do. Knowing that someone could come and steal your beanie babies. I don't know if anybody would do that. Someone could come and steal that investment. Heck, you might leave it for your kids, and then your kids will fight over it and hate each other after you're long gone. Why do that? Why not invest it into something better? And look what Jesus says right here. He goes even further and says, For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. How many of you know a friend that always seems to tell the truth when you don't want them to? You're out eating at a restaurant. Mm, I wouldn't eat that. Do you know how many calories are in there? And usually that's about the time I say, no, and I don't care. <laughs> you know, and then I bite in. Mm, I wouldn't do that. Did you hear about this? You know, they, they're always so truthful. And you're like, I wish you wouldn't tell me the truth. I think so many people, they look at this verse right here with Jesus and they're like, Jesus, I just wish you wouldn't be so truthful right here. But that's who Jesus is. He tells the truth. He is truthful. He can't be anything but truthful. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And then verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in, the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Let me explain it this way. What we fix our eyes on determines our direction in life. What we fix our eyes on determines our direction in life. And that's really kind of been the theme of our series. What we focus on determines the direction in our life. Be careful to get fo focused on investments of this earth. Get, be careful not to get in, focused in on things of this world. I got my uh, Apple Watch here. This is the Apple Watch 2. Ooh, uh, it's not the 3, I know. It's not the 4. Got this Apple Watch to a couple years ago as a Christmas gift from my wife and my parents. 
And I was so excited because I'm like, yes, I've always wanted an Apple Watch. My brothers, they always walked around and they flaunted their Apple Watches. And I was like, oh, someday I'll get an Apple Watch. Finally, two years ago for Christmas, I got one. I'm like, this thing is so awesome. Now, guess what? When people text me, I don't have to get my big old phone. I don't have my phone on me. I don't have to get my phone out of my pocket anymore. Now I can just look at my watch and I can even respond. Hey, thanks. You know, I can push a little responses. I can respond to them. Someone calls me and I'm driving. I don't have to pull my phone out. Now I just push the little answer thing and they can hear me as I'm driving. This thing, it's so awesome. When you put in navigations, you don't even have to look at your phone. It'll sit there when it's time to turn. It'll vibrate on your wrist and it'll point an arrow that way or that way. You know where you're supposed to go and you don't even, you just kind of like, oh, oh, that's great. It's so amazing. But then the iPhone 3 came out or the, the, uh, the Apple Watch 3 came out and it had GPS. It had where you could actually make calls and send text messages and it didn't have to be linked to your phone. Your phone could be at home somewhere else. It had its own data plan. And I began to look at that and go, I really would like to have that. I had a buddy that had it. And I'm like, man, that, I, that Apple Watch 3 is so awesome. And then I started catching myself going, why? Why am I so focused on this? Why am I so focused? Why am I focusing my eyes on this? I was so content with what I had before I saw my buddy's Apple Watch. We got to be careful what we focus on. Because what we focus on determines our direction in life. He says what you focus on is going to determine your direction. Always loved that song as a kid that I sang in church. Oh, be careful little eyes what you see. And I used to always think as a kid, you know what? Hey, don't watch any bad movies. Hey, don't watch any bad stuff. That's what that's said. That's what it's saying. It says don't watch bad stuff. You know, it's more than that. Be careful what you focus on. Be careful what you focus on. Be careful what you set your mind on. Careful that we don't focus on everything else besides what's beyond this life. Because when we get caught up into that stuff, it's just beanie babies. That's all it is. Things that don't matter. Things that will be obsolete in just a couple of years. Jesus is saying a heavenly investment is priority, not earthly investments, not earthly things. Then he says in verse 24, no one can serve two masters. For either, either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. And I hear so many Christians, Caleb, no, I'm a good Christian. I can do both, man. I can do the money thing and I can do the God thing. No, you can't. Jesus said it right here. You can't do it. You can't do it. It's not possible. You're going to love one and hate the other. You can't live for money one day and then live for God the next. It doesn't work. And then he even says it in so, so clearly in the next part. You can't serve God and money. Jesus says you can't do it. Don't even try. You're wasting your time. You can't serve both. What's your priority? And then number two, write this down. Listen. We need to prioritize then we need to listen. Now, it seems like in our life, when we don't listen, we get into trouble. When we don't listen, we get into trouble. The other day, I was taking my kids to my uh, nephew's birthday party, and they were having it all the way in Dublin at a Chuck E. Cheese up off of Sawmill Road. And I was like, oh, man, that's such a far drive. And not only that, it was like in the middle of rush hour traffic, the time I had to start heading over there. 
And so I remember I grabbed my phone. I'm like, I need to get this in. I need to get my GPS going because I need all the best turns. We're already like 15. We're going to be like 15 minutes late. So I need to hurry up and get there, get my kids there because we're going to be playing with Chuck E. Cheese and stuff like that, doing all the game stuff. And so I got my, my phone all set up and I actually put it up in my dashboard so I can see it clearly as I'm driving down the road. And as soon as I pushed go, all of a sudden that lady's voice, all right, turn right now. And I'm just like, no, 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 I don't want to hear this lady. I don't want to listen to this lady the whole time. And so I go into the settings and I turn her off. I'm like, I'm, I'm not going to listen. I, I'm a man. I can look at the map and know where I'm going. I can see it. And so we get to driving along and I'm playing with my kids. We're, we're singing songs and stuff like that and just messing around and teasing each other. And I remember I got up, I got up to I-70 and then got off on 71 and I was heading up and I was supposed to merge onto 670 to head west over that direction. And I remember we were driving along, traffic was getting real heavy and I'm up there singing a song with my kids and all of a sudden I see that and that exit drive right past us. I'm like, oh no. And as soon as I pass it, traffic stops completely. And I look down at my phone and I see it recalculating and it adds another 15 minutes on my time of arrival. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like if I only would have just listened, that lady would have been like, please merge, merge right. And she would have told me exactly what to do. I would have got there when I was supposed to, if only I'd have just listened. And I think so many times as Christians, if only we would just listen to what Jesus is telling us, man. It would save us from so much trouble, but when we don't, we get into trouble. We see verse 25, it says this, says, therefore, whenever you see those words in the Bible, I've always taught this in Bible college, whenever you see those words, therefore, you need to ask the question, what is it there for? What is it there for? We see right here, Jesus is actually using this as a connecting point. He's connecting two different thoughts together. So many people, they read these verses right here and they say, all right, he's done talking about money. Now he's talking about something else. No, no, no. He's actually connecting them. That's why he uses the word therefore. He's connecting them to make and continue the same thought process right here. And so he says this in the verse. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious or another word would be worry. Do not worry. You know, a lot of Christians, they read this verse and they're like, I'm trying not to worry. I'm trying not to worry. I'm doing my best, but it's really hard. I can't help it. We got to understand right here. He says, therefore, he's connecting two things. He's connecting the do nots. What did we see? What was our first do not that it said? It said, do not lay up treasure on earth. Do not store up treasure on earth. And then the second do not is this. Do not worry. Do not store up treasure on earth. Do not worry. And we got to understand when we do the first, when we do the first, what he says right here, we can claim the second. When we store up treasure in heaven instead of on this earth, we don't have to worry. But when we don't do the first, don't worry about the second because it's not going to happen. Worry is going to be a part of your life. When you trust God with your finances, invest heavily. You don't have to worry. But when you try to do it yourself and you invest here on this earth, you better get ready for some worry. You had better be worried. You better be freaked out and scared about your economy, about the budget, about your bank account. Because guess what? You're investing everything in this earth. And when you invest in this earth, there's a good chance you're going to lose it. You're going to lose it. It's only a matter of time. It's going to happen. 
But when you invest, when you lay up treasures in heaven, you can claim the second. Do not worry. What does he say in the rest of that verse? Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on it or put on. It is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet their heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Man, this verse has always given me encouragement because in my younger years, as an early, as a young married guy, I used to freak out about money all the time. You ask my wife, man, I would lose it. Our bank account would be overdrawn. I would have a big bill coming up that I didn't think we could pay. We would have all these money issues early on in our marriage. And I used to just freak out. And you ask her, not only would I freak out, when I get scared, I get mad. I get angry. And then I'm on edge half the time. You can't even ask me a question because I begin to just freak out on people. And I learned over the years that God has always provided He's always made a way. Why was I losing my mind over this? Why am I freaking out over this? The truth was I wasn't trusting in God. I wasn't trusting in him. My eyes were focused on the wrong things. Notice what he says in verse 28. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. In other words, people who don't know Jesus, this is what they focus on. This is what they are looking at. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Not about you, but I can honestly look at this and say, I'm not a perfect father. I'm not a perfect father. My wife, Amanda, she's not a perfect mother. We are not perfect parents. But even in our imperfection as parents, guess what? We still look forward to what things, uh, things that our kids need. We still prepare and plan ahead and look at doctor's appointments for their yearly checkups. We look at dentist appointments. Now we're getting into orthodontists now. It's driving me crazy. And uh, optometrists. I had to learn that, that word because I never needed glasses. Never been to an optometrist. But my kids, I got two kids that are going to need glasses now. And they're going to the optometrist. But you know what? As Even as imperfect parents, we're focusing on things that they need that they don't even know that they need. And if I do that as an imperfect father, how much greater is our heavenly father? Think about him, the perfect father. For many of you, you're freaking out. You're freaking out. But he's already thinking about 10 to 20 years from now. You're freaking out about what's happening in your situation right now and what you're going through. And God's like, I've already got that in the bag. I've already got that taken care of. I've already got that planned out. He goes, man, I'm 10, 20 years way beyond you. And the best part is this. Guess what? Guess how great God is. It brings him joy to prepare for your future. It brings him joy to look to your future. Why are you freaking out? And while you're freaking out, guess what? 
God's already 10 steps ahead of you. He's way ahead of you. You know, I, I think about this new building that we're moving into, and it's check it out on your phones, on GPS and stuff like that. It's on the west side of Canal. Can I tell you, one of the first interactions I had with the city was coming here and meeting other pastors and church planners and how discouraged they were. Because Canal Winchester is not an easy place to come in and start a church. On top of that, have your own building. Have your own place where you can actually be there all week long and have an office and do events during the week and things like that. You know how impossible the city's made that? Very difficult. Because of zoning requirements and stuff like that and restrictions. And so they came in and I was like, man, I'm so excited about what God's going to do. You know, I'm looking at some different properties and I'm looking at this warehouse and I'm looking at this building over here. And they were like, you can't, you can't do that. Well, what about this over here? No, you can't do that. They won't let you in there. I was like, wow, really? Yeah, you can't do that because I won't let you. And so with that in mind, we, we knew God was leading us here. And so we continued to take steps and we came here and we moved into the school. But at the same time, I, I had this in the back of my mind, God, what are we going to do? Like once we grow, how long can I have this team of people setting up and tearing down every single week before they're like, dude, I'm tired. Like <laughs> this has been fun, but I got to go. God, how long can I keep this rolling? How long can I keep this kind of energy moving before people just start falling off the map? And I began to freak out. And I began to think, man, all these other church plants have failed. They've come in here and they've closed their doors. Are we just going to be another one of the ranks that just falls? And then I read something like this, something that challenges so much that our Heavenly Father is looking out for us. While I'm freaking out about right now and what's going on and where we're going to be taking our next steps, God has already prepared the way he's planning ahead of us. While I moved into the city going, God, where are we going to go? God's like, I know exactly where you're going to go. I got the exact place in mind. You're just going to have to wait. If you're here this morning and you're freaking out, can I tell you this? He's worth trusting. We just need to listen. We need to listen to what God's telling us because sometimes it's not going to make sense. It's going to take us to places where it's going to stretch us and we're not going to know what God's talking about. But he's got a plan in motion because he's a good heavenly father. We need to prioritize. We need to listen. Then number three to finish, we need to decide. We need to decide. There comes a time where you, you, you're either going to trust God and do what he says or you're not. You're either going to trust him and do what he says or you're not. I have a problem with Christians who are very comfortable with this kind of faith. They're like, God, I trust you with my salvation. I trust you with what happens after my life. But you know, right now in my finances, I can't really let you have that. I, I don't know if I can give that to you. We already saw what Jesus said. You can't do both. You can't do it one way and then the other way. You've got to put trust in him completely. And if you're going to trust him with your finances... If you're going to trust him, uh, not only with your afterlife, but, but after this life, but what, if you're going to trust him with what he says about money, it's time for you to decide. And I got to tell you up front, for you to trust God with your finances, for you to, get, to trust God with your money, guess what? It's going to be a step of faith. It's going to be a step of faith. You think it comes easily? It doesn't. It's a step of faith every single time. When you invest in his heavenly kingdom, it is a step of faith. 
A couple years back, we went to uh, Branson, Missouri for Thanksgiving. It's so amazing. We're coming up on Thanksgiving. Two years ago, we went to Thanksgiving. My parents rented this big house in Branson where we could all come and meet. Michael was there. Michael was just engaged to my sister at the time. We all came together as a family, had a big meal. Can I, can I give you some advice, ladies, if you ever want a year where you don't want to cook? Cracker Barrel, man, they'll give you a turkey and everything. Really good price, good food. Save yourself a lot of work. But, so we did that. We got Cracker Barrel brought in, ordered in, catered in. And we had a big Thanksgiving meal. And then we went to Silver Dollar City, one of the, I mean, one of the best theme parks they have in that area. I grew up going there as a kid. My dad was a pastor in Arkansas. So we would drive over to Missouri and go to that theme park. Loved it. It was, I mean, it's got blacksmiths. It's got people that are dressed up in old town get up and stuff like that. It's a big, big theme park out there in the mountains of, uh, of the Ozarks. And so we got to go this two years ago for Thanksgiving, and I got to take my boys, and I got to show them this place that I grew up going to. And one of the rides I got to show them was a, a ride called Fire in the Hole. Fire in the Hole. And I was so excited to show them because that was one of my favorite rides in the entire place. Fire in the Hole was based on the ball knobbers. If you don't know who the ball knobbers were, they were, they were guys that wore masks and ran around Arkansas, just to keep it brief and, and uh clear, but they, they wore masks and they robbed people and they attacked people. They lit places on fire. They caused a lot of trouble. And so on this ride, the point of the ride was you were a firefighter and you were jumping on your fire uh, wagon and you were going to put out fires that the ball knobbers had lit. And so I got my boys. I'm like, you guys have got to ride this, ride this with me. And this is my favorite ride as a kid. And Jack was like, yeah, man, let's go ride this thing. And Josh was like, I ain't riding that. I'm like, Josh, this ride is awesome. No, it's scary. I like began to describe it to him, but you go through and it's dark and there's fire, like there's fake fire and stuff like that. And people or animatronics are moving. It's awesome. And he was like, I ain't riding that. That's scary. And so I said, all right, Josh, all right, you stay here. He stayed with the rest of the adults and me and Jack and my niece, Rachel, and my other brothers, we got on this ride and we rode it. And it's such a great ride. You ride around and there's actually buildings, there's sets in there and they're on fire. Uh, they're, they've got different animatronics moving. It is an awesome ride. And then towards the end, all you hear is you're driving along, you're riding along, and then it gets really black and dark. And then all of a sudden you hear train, a train off the distance, a train whistle. And you see a little light coming at you like you're driving right at a train in the middle of the night. And you just suddenly drop down through this big drop and you're driving around this lower area. And then all of a sudden you hear this guy go, fire in the hole. And dude, you do this big, huge drop into a big pool of water. I mean, it splashes you everything. My favorite ride. We got out of that thing and Jack's like, that is so awesome. Rachel's like that. Let's ride it again. And so I'm like, Josh, they had a good time. Nobody was scared. Do you want to ride it this time? And he goes, yeah, I think, I think I'll try it. I think I'll try it. We got on that ride. He got off it. He loved it. I think we rode it two more times that night. He was like, that was the best ride ever. But for him, it was a step of faith. For him, he had to take that step of faith and get on that ride. And then afterwards, he was like, this is the best thing I've ever done. You know what? There's some, there's strength in knowing that someone's gone before. There's strength in knowing that someone has done something before that you're taking a step of faith on. And when I tell you that you can trust in God, when I tell you that you can invest in heavenly things and that God is going to provide, guess what? You don't have to worry. I'm not just telling you that because God said it. I'm telling you because I've been there before. 
We have other people in our church who have taken steps of faith and they know that God can be trusted. You can trust him. You can take this step of faith because there's strength in knowing that someone's been there before and that you can trust God. What Jesus is saying right here is God's gone first. He gave before we did. But I want you to understand, it's always a step of faith. And then lastly, right here, verse 33, says this, but seek first. Seek first. We need to understand this right here. He's connected it with all the financial things. He's connecting it right here to wealth. When Jesus would speak many times, he would actually point to the Old Testament. He would connect everything that he said to the Old Testament. And so many Christians I see, they go, well, when it comes to tithing and giving, we can't look to the Old Testament because that's under the law. That's in the law, the Old Testament. We're under grace. We don't need that anymore. We're not under that anymore. You know, that's great. But you know what? Jesus is pointing back to something even further than the law. We see in Genesis 28, verse 22, we see Jacob comes out and he says this. He says, you know what? Jacob says in Genesis 28, 22, he says, I'm going to give a tenth of what I have to God. I'm going to give 10% of what I have to God. Jacob, before the law, is even taking this step of faith and showing generosity in giving back. And I want you to notice Jesus is connecting the dots right here. Look at the rest of that verse. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What things is he talking about right here? The things he mentioned before, clothing, food, money. We can trust God. We can trust him. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. If you're here today and you're freaking out about something, you're freaking out about the economy, you're freaking out about your bank account, you need to understand when you put God first, when you put your faith and your financial hope in him, When you invest in heavenly things, you are tied into the most secure market of all time. The market of the one who created the entire earth, who is active and is working in you and I today. Now, Scripture tells us that his mercies and his faithfulness are new every morning. They're new for us every single morning. This topic of money, I I know it can be upsetting for some people. But the reason why we've got to talk about this is this. Many Christians, one of the things that comes between them and their walk with God is generosity and giving. I told you early, Christianity and giving, they're connected. You can't separate them. You can't split them apart. It's connected. And I've spent so many years in ministry where I've seen pastors who hated talking about giving so much, who hated talking about money so much that they never talked about it. And one thing I've learned through years of ministry, even after seeing that, is the benefits of actually doing the quite, quite the opposite. I've realized over time for many Christians, the breakthrough for them spiritually is when they fully understood this finance thing. When they fully understood what God was saying, what Jesus was saying when he said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. There's a breakthrough that happens in people when they make that connection. And I don't know about you, but nobody likes it when people talk and don't follow it up with action. I feel like sometimes God is speaking to us and he's like, you know what? You're coming to church. You're here every week, even when it's cold. 
You tell me you're with me. You tell me that you love me. But where your treasure is, where your treasure is at, your heart's also. You know, we can say, God, we're with you. We can say, God, we're behind you. But God knows by your actions. He knows by your decisions. He knows by your priorities. He knows where your heart is, where your treasure is, your heart is also. Christianity is is all about generosity. God gave his son to us first. And what I find is when we are recipients of his generosity, when we're recipients of his, this gift of salvation, it makes it so much easier for us to give to someone else. For many of you who claim to be Christians, your view of salvation will drastically change your view of finances. It will. When you truly accept that free gift, it's going to change the way you see money in a whole new light. The way you see your finances in a whole new light. When you understand that God gave his first and his best for you. When you've received salvation, something that you couldn't earn, something that you didn't pay for, something that you didn't work for, a free gift. When you understand that God gave it to you freely, it makes it so much easier to say, what am I holding on to this for? It's already yours. It's already yours. Why am I acting like it's mine and I'm keeping it from you? It's already yours. I'm going to give it to you. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never accepted the free gift of salvation. Romans 10.9 tells us that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This morning, if there's never been a time where you've accepted Jesus, your first step is not, I need to give. Your first step is to accept the free gift that Jesus has already given you. That's the first step. My question for you today is this. If the whole money thing sounds foolish, if all this just sounds like stupidity, who would do this? Who would, who would think this way? If this morning all this is foolishness to you, maybe you really need to think, has there ever been a time I've accepted Jesus? Has there ever been a time where I really accepted the salvation that Jesus offered for me? For those of you that have, are you still fighting for control? Are you still fighting for control? You want to drive the story. You want the wheel. You want the pen of your life. You're fighting for control with God. This morning, don't be surprised when you're freaking out about money and the economy when you don't store up treasure in heaven. You'd better be freaking out. You better be losing it. You better be worried because when you understand it comes from God, when you understand that all this is coming from him and I'm giving back to you, you got it. It's already yours. It's all already yours because my heart is with you. When you understand that, you don't have to worry. You don't have to worry. This morning, do you know Jesus? Has there ever been a time that you accepted his free gift of salvation? Do you know him? Are you listening to him? And for some of you, it's time to decide. It's time for you to decide. 
It's time to invest in something that's actually going to last instead in this world, which is but a vapor. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, Lord, I love you so much. I thank you for how you continue to work, how you continue to move this morning. Lord, I know this is a challenge for all of us. There's times we've taken steps of faith and we've been generous and we've given, but then we go through times in our life where things get difficult. Things get hard and we begin to back up and we begin to say, well, maybe, maybe I don't have to be as generous. I don't have to give as, but you know, I, I, I just take it easy, take it safe. When the truth is you're providing, you've already made a way. You're already preparing for us 10, 20 years from now. And we need to trust you. God, we thank you. We thank you for these people that are here this morning. Who came to hear your word. They came to hear your truth. Who came to worship your name. Lord, I know you're working in lives. I know you're working in hearts. You're speaking to people. I pray that you would continue to work in every single one of us. As we go out this week, as we see your hand at work, that we wouldn't be stingy Christians, but we'd be Christians of generosity. That when we see the need, we would give. When we would hear you moving in us, that we would take that step of faith. Lord, we just want to be more like you. Make us what you want us to be. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Discovery City Church podcast. If you've been impacted by this ministry and would like to help us continue to help others, you can give online at discoverycitychurch.com slash give.